Welcome to the Evidence-Based Chiropractor, where each week we deliver the latest chiropractic research and marketing strategies, all in the time it takes to get to your office. Now here's your host, Dr. Jeff Langmaid. Hello and welcome to the Evidence-Based Chiropractor. I am your host, Dr. Jeff Langmaid, and on today's episode, we're diving deep into some research. This is a study that came out in 2017, and if you see younger people in your practice, you're going to want to pay attention. This study was titled Associations Between Low Back Pain and Depression and Somatization in a Canadian Emerging Adult Population. It's the first study I've seen really analyzing this in a emerging adult population, meaning 18 to 26 years old. A lot of good clinical pearls in this one. We'll break it down in more on today's episode. Before we get started, I'm going to say a few words about the Smart Chiropractor. The Smart Chiropractor can power your patient journey to provide you with more qualified leads, more new patients, better retention, consistent reactivations, all without spending any money on advertising. This is about content, this is about consistency, and this is about communication. We believe and have seen when you teach and invite consistently, you can keep your schedule full without having to resort to deep discount advertising or demographic targeting and then hoping to convert somebody, quote unquote, once they come in your front doors. That's all at thesmartchiropractor.com. So head over there and check it out. But on today's episode, we're talking research. Study came out in 2017. Basics are this. We all know low back pain is one of the most common conditions, musculoskeletal, neuromusculoskeletal conditions in the world. The lifetime prevalence is sky high. Almost everybody, as I like to say, is going to have back pain at some point in their life. And the point prevalence is about 30% of the population at any given time. Some of the challenges associated with this is low back pain is the leading cause of years lived with disability and is associated with you know, quality of life issues. And when you have low back pain, it makes a big impact in your quality of life. This is going to tie into a lot of the psychological component that we talk about on today's episode. This is one of the first studies to tackle that emerging adulthood category. They defined it in the research as 18 to 26 years old. Now, this is a super important time for quite a few reasons. You know, one is that everybody has you know, more responsibility, more independence regarding lifestyle choices, as they talk about in this study, and establishing behaviors for good and for bad that'll last the rest of their lives. Typically around this age, people are getting into the workforce, going to college, whatever it might be for those individuals, they're going to get, they're going to have more responsibility on them day in and day out again, more independence in terms of what they're choosing. Uh, you know, I guess they're, you know, their mother and father aren't cooking for them anymore. So they're making decisions in terms of how they move, how they eat, how they engage with the healthcare system and their daily wellness and health habits or lack thereof. And often this is a critical junction point between what's you know been played in your head, you know, on the on the tapes in your head, so to speak, as a child, what's been ingrained in you, uh, and what's to become second nature as you go through the rest of your life as an adult. Not that change can't happen, but this is an interesting transitional period, and behaviors you know during this period have been linked and may be linked to chronic disease later in life, but. The catch 22, the benefit is at this age, a lot of those behaviors can still are still malleable. They can still you know, be changed. So 
this is an important junction point. It sets up the next, you know, 30, 40, 50, 60 years of life. And I think all of us, you know, when, if we're a chiropractor, as you are listening, we see people come in with, you know, with pain, whether they're a teenager, whether they're a young adult. And sometimes it can be difficult to deal with and challenging to really nail down a true diagnosis because a lot of what we'll talk about right now, and that key word is somatization. I hadn't heard that before. I hope I'm pronouncing it correctly, but this is defined as a quote, complex array of behaviors characterized by an abundant usage of body expressions and language to convey feelings or personal complaint and social distress amplifying or distorting sometimes subtle physiological changes. So this is, I, I immediately think of that slumped posture, that you know depressed type posture, shoulders rolled forward, you know, hyperkyphosis. We know that that plays a role due to previous studies that we've cited on this podcast that has maybe not causation, but certainly correlation with mental uh, state. And they found that there's no question that there is co-occurrence between depressive and somatoform disorders. So when somatization is occurring, there's a link there to mood, to depressive disorders. And that's a key part of this. And when you throw low back pain into it, you start to really develop, uh, you know, a, a challenging situation but also one, in my opinion, that we can help tremendously as the advocates, as the doctors, as the educators, teachers, and guides for these young people coming into our practices. So this study, they took and looked at a university population, 18 to 26 years old, right? A total of a little bit above 1,000 students, and they ran a bunch of questionnaires and surveys to determine what's going on. And one of those was to grade uh, low back pain. Grading scale was zero, one, two, and three. And this was to estimate the frequency and intensity. And grade zero was none or a single episode with mild intensity. Grade two was intermittent or chronic episodes with mild intensity. Grade two, did I say grade two there? Grade one was intermittent or chronic episodes with mild intensity. Grade two was single episode of moderate to severe intensity. And grade three was intermittent or chronic episodes with moderate to severe intensity. So this was how they graded things to really stratify and better understand, okay, what's going on with this patient population? What are the correlations? And how are these things playing out? So the, the analysis showed that, you know, People in the at-risk category of depression were more likely than the people in the normal depression category to be classified as having low back pain. Probably no surprises there. Significant associations were observed for the at-risk depression category in grades two and three low back pain, whereas individuals in the at-risk depression category were two times, over a little bit over two times, more likely to uh, be classified with grade two and 1.8 times more likely to be classified with grade three low back pain than those in the normal depression category. So there's no question there was a correlation here. There was an association between a depressive category, an at-risk category, and the frequency and intensity of low back pain, which is in important because we've seen this in adult populations time and time again, but this is one of the first times it's really been explored in a younger population, that emerging adulthood. So they, they 
said their findings demonstrate that both depression and somatization are positively associated with low back pain, both independently and co-occurring, and that the results of this study support the evidence that low back pain is quite prevalent in an emerging adult population, with over half the participants reporting current or past low back pain across all the grades. Uh, subjects in this study were most commonly reported experiencing back pain in the lowest grade category. That's good. Nearly 25% recording intermittent or chronic episodes of mild intensity and about 21% intermittent or chronic with moderate to severe intensity. And thankfully, only 5% a single episode of moderate to severe intensity. So I look at that and there's a couple key takeaways. One is that intermittent or chronic in mild or moderate accounted for almost 50% of the people. So I know we think of that, you know, 40 years old to 60, 45 to 65 as the hotbed of disc and low back pain issues, but it's creeping downward in age. There's, you probably see that in your practice, but this uh, study reinforces you know, that idea. And we've seen time and time again throughout the research that low back pain in, and depression are associated and they can be cyclical as well. And there, it's, it's been suggested that people experiencing depression are 60% more likely to develop back pain in their lifetime versus non-depressed people. That's big. When you think about low back pain being number one cause of disability worldwide, costing how many billions or trillions of dollars in care, and we see that mental health is playing a huge role in, I I wouldn't say cause, I don't know if it's cause or correlation. I think these two things play together, but it, it these these are big deals. And when you combine depressive features, depressive moods, depressive mental states, with low back pain, this is a challenging equation. And it's something I, all of us as providers need to be aware of because how we speak to a patient, how we empower that patient, how we're going through our report of findings, day in and day out, table talk, how are we communicating with these individuals? Are we showing empathy? Are we staying positive? Are we laying that foundation of improvement is so, so, so important. Because we also know that the presence of depression has been shown to have a negative effect on recovery. So not only is it, you know, it makes it more likely that low back pain comes about, but it makes it harder to get away. And that's a big deal. And we know it's cyclical because low, persistent low back pain, you know, non-ironically increases the likelihood of depressive symptoms. Your quality of life goes down. You're unable to really, you know, do those things you love with the people you love. The big life effect, right? We talked about it on this podcast quite a few times. People don't come in due to pain. They come in because the life effect. They come in because the pain has gotten bad enough that it's prevented them from doing something they love. And you know this because we asked the question, how long? You, oh, okay. You know, John, great to meet you. You're going through your report, you know, excuse me, your present uh, history, history of present illness. And you know, how long have you been dealing with this? Ah, three months, three years, 30 years, right? People deal with stuff forever. It's just when it gets to the point where they're unable to do the things that they love that they begin to take action. And, you know, understanding these psychological factors in, I guess, embedding those, that understanding into your care is so, so important. Why? We've seen previous studies. There's pain catastrophizing. There's fear avoidance behavior that heightens somatic awareness. These are all challenges that can really ramp up 
that pain and disability. And it, they are a big, big deal. Uh, you know, I, and I can't overstate that on this podcast. Not all of us, many of us are never going to be, you know, psychiatrists, psychologists. But I think we all can appreciate the fact that being mindful of these factors during care and treatment is so important. The tone that you utilize, the space that you create, even visually in your practice, it can play a role. And you know, we shouldn't take any of this lightly. I know a lot of times, you know, it's like low back pain, low back pain. All right, we know, we, we know, we know about low back pain. It seems almost boring, but I want to caution you against glazing over it because this is something that affects tens of tens of millions of people and quite frankly if chiropractors all, you know doubled their market share in terms of how many uh, people with low back pain that were taken care of there wouldn't be a chiropractor out there that would want for new patients that doesn't mean that would be all you have to do but what i'm saying is that this is such a epidemic that there are hundreds of millions of people worldwide billions worldwide technically dealing with this day in and day out and the more tools you can have in your tool belt to help people get the results they desire the more that you help them the more that they'll help you the more referrals you'll get in the better relationships you'll build and develop with other healthcare providers in your community and the better you'll be able to guide people on their unique journeys of health so Important to keep in mind that not only is you know depression and low back pain associated in adults, but it's also associated in younger individuals. And here's where I'm going to put this kind of into action for you. We've all had people come in, teenagers, quote unquote, come in that have you know kind of undefined back pain. And you know it's you, know, you look at their posture and their posture stinks. It's difficult to get them to talk and tell you anything. Uh, you know sometimes this might be your own child, but there there's no question that we've seen this in practice all of the time. So being empathetic to the fact that there might be other things going on in their life is really really important and helping guide that process, being that beacon of positive health, encouraging, also tying back to the beginning of this, encouraging healthy behaviors. When we think about individuals in this transitional emerging adulthood phase of 18 to 26, again, habits are pretty malleable. So emphasizing and showcasing the importance of movement, segmental movement, regional movement, whole body movement, exercise, highlighting the fact that their body is resilient and can get well. You know, talking about, you know, diet, nutrition, you don't need to overwhelm somebody with all of this in a single visit, but highlighting it, they might not be hearing it anywhere else. And, uh, you know, sometimes as chiropractors, we kind of live in our bubble where it's like, well, every, you know, most people probably think the way we think. And it's just not true. Many people have no idea how their body works. They have absolutely no idea how to navigate the healthcare system. And they clearly have no idea about the proactive steps they can take to improve their resilience, to improve their overall function, to improve their overall quality of life. Many people, most people, an overwhelming majority of people are totally flying blind in relation to these super important things that really define, not to be too hoity-toity here, but really define our human experience. So the more that you can be an understanding ear, the more that you can have positive encouragement, the more that you can showcase those positive steps in meaningful, bite-sized ways by meeting your patients where they're at, helping them gain those small improvements, taking them the next step, 
your practice is going to be so much better for it. The people's lives that you touch are going to be so much more greatly improved. And you're just going to be being the best doctor slash teacher you can possibly be. And I don't think there's anything uh, better that we can be than that. Final component of this that I'll talk about is relative to referral relationships with other healthcare providers and just the medical model. Uh, quite frankly, I, I, you know, when, when a doc goes in, a pain management doc's in with somebody for 90 seconds, we, they're not getting this information. And a primary care doctor in and out in 90 seconds for that history, they're not gaining, and this is not every primary care doctor, not every pain management doctor, but by and large, we know the story here. They're not getting this information. And when somebody is going down the route of medication, advanced imaging, potentially surgical intervention, and there's really at the heart of this, this is about a mental state, just as much as it's about the musculoskeletal issue, that person is really being set up for failure long term. So, you know, getting out there, bridging the gap, building those relationships and being sensitive to this is going to help you stand out as a provider. And the longer you do it, the more you're going to stand out. So uh, get out there, keep up, you know, keep up the fantastic work. And before we close today, I'll say a few words about Cairo Matchmakers. If you are looking to build, grow or expand your team with a chiropractic assistant or an associate doctor, please head over to chiromatchmakers.com. We have helped hundreds of docs uh, place hundreds of chiropractic associates and thousands of chiropractic assistants. This is not just about finding anybody to be in your practice. We all know that those relationships go south sooner rather than later. This is about using behavioral assessments. This is about matching people based upon their behavior, their goals, and your practice culture to ensure a fantastic fit long-term. Now, if you're on the other side of that equation and you are somebody out there looking for your next opportunity, we have over 100 open positions right now, most paying $85,000 base salary and above. You can check us out at chiromatchmakers.com. Docs, I hope you have a fantastic week in practice and I will talk to you soon. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Evidence-Based Chiropractor. If you want to grow your practice, come back for next week's episode. If you want to grow faster, visit theevidencebasedchiropractor.com and join our MD Marketing membership today.